everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining me for today's conversation, the first CIO strategy snapshot of 2022. I'm glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Jason, Happy New Year. Hope you had an enjoyable holiday season. It's great to be back on the mic with you here today to kick off the new year. Looking forward to our conversation. All right. Happy New Year, Dan. Happy New Year to all of our listeners. Yeah, it's uh, good to be back and start a New Year blank slate. Hopefully much better this year for, you know, COVID reasons. Absolutely. And Jason, I know we last spoke, it was probably a couple of weeks ago. And at that point, you did provide CIO's market outlook. And we'll get into that, revisit that in just a few moments and talk about some uh, key factors that will determine market macro performance as we make our way into 2022. To begin, though, Jason, I thought perhaps as a starting point, we can reflect on how market performance shaped up in 2021. That Santa Claus rally, which investors had hoped for, uh, that did materialize despite the dampening macro effects, the impacts of the Omicron variant of COVID-19 still ongoing. We'll talk about that more in a few moments. But uh, Jason, can you begin by providing us with a 2021 asset class performance roundup? So, you know, the, the returns for the year, certainly for equities, were very good. I mean, if we think of the starting point of the S&P 100, the total return for the year was 28.7%, uh, which, uh, you know, is a very strong year by any measure. Uh, and you mentioned the Santa Claus rally. Uh, so we did get uh, about a little over 4% of that happened in the last roughly you know, 10 days of the year from December 20th onwards. Uh, so it was a good year for, for U.S. equities overall. But there's actually, I think, a, a fair amount of divergence. Like that's maybe not fully appreciated if you just look at the, you know, large cap equities. Uh, you know, small cap equities in the U.S. were up, you know, 14 uh, percent, a little bit more, you know, a solid year. But, you know, that's half of what large cap equities did. So kind of relatively underperformed. Uh, if we look outside of the U.S., you know, emerging market equities were down 2 percent. And China was a big factor in that because they were down even more. You know, Japan was only up, you know, 2 to 3 percent. So a fair amount of dispersion across regions and even within sort of styles and sectors. So, you know, the top performing sector within the U.S. was energy up 52 percent, followed by real estate at 41. Uh, flaggered, and this is not a bad year at all by any measure, is, is utilities at 13 percent. So a lot of dispersion. Then we look at, you know, commodities, you know, the broad commodity indices are up around 30 percent, but oil was up, you know, more like 50 percent, a little, a little over 50 percent, depending on like which measure you're using. Uh, industrial metals up 30 percent, uh, but gold was down three uh, percent. So again, sort of variation within the commodity space of, you know, depending on where you were allocated. You know, the real laggard for the last year was the bond market, um, because interest rates rise, higher interest rates means lower bond prices. And uh, more than offset, the fact that the starting yields at this time last year were quite low. I think that the 10-year Treasury yield was around 80, 90 basis points at this time last year. As a result, you know, U.S. government bonds were down over 2%. And if you had longer maturity treasuries, they were down over 4%. You know, even investment-grade corporate bonds were down minus 1%. Uh, you know, stuff that is you got a little more risky, like in high yield and senior loans, they did a little bit better, around 5%. And the star performer in the fixed income space last year was TIPS because real interest rates fell and TIPS do well when the real interest rates fall, not because necessarily break-even inflation or inflation was rising. Um, so 
big dispersion, you know, in performance last year, but the headline number of U.S. equities a very strong year overall. Jason, thank you very much for that performance recap to start off the conversation. Very helpful context. So now let's focus on the year ahead, 2022. I will point out that you did recently author a blog. The title is Now What? That blog, by the way, available up on UBS.com forward slash CIO for our clients, our listeners. Now, within that blog, Jason, you write about how the chief investment office's positive 2022 outlook, which we did cover on our final podcast of 2021, though that outlook depend on some key factors. So, Jason, can you outline these key factors for us? Well, primarily there, I, we can sort of focus on economic factors uh, because that's going to drive the, you know, the story. There can be ge- geopolitical factors. Obviously, there can be COVID-related factors, which really come back to their economic impact. Uh, geopolitical things we can't really predict that well, but in the economic you know, perspective, we at least know what the drivers are. And, you know, first and foremost, it's inflation. We start the year with inflation, the most recent number of CPI at 6.8%. So the question becomes, you know, how much does inflation sort of moderate during the course of the year? How quickly does it decline? Uh, and how much is it because maybe the Fed starts to take away some of the punch bowl by curtailing its bond purchases and by hiking rates, you know, likely starting in the second quarter? Uh, you know, we know it's going to decline somewhat, but, you know, how much? That, that remains sort of an open question. Uh, another big question is the labor market. Uh, you know, the unemployment rate is down to 4.2%. Uh, the question is how much slack is there left? How many more people are out there that need to be pulled back into the labor market? We still have in upwards of 10 million job openings and the number of people who might be looking for work is somewhere in the neighborhood of you know, 7 million. So like how much spare capacity do we have in the labor market? How much, how long does it take to get sort of full employment, which is sort of the Fed's kind of final criteria for kind of lifting off rates. Um, and then going back to the Fed, you know, if they do start raising the rates, the key focus will be, how long or how can they sort of engineer a soft landing? You know, can they reach, reach gradually sort of cool the economy and you know, bring down inflation without slowing growth too much? And that's going to be a key sort of storyline throughout this year. And related to that, then, of course, how long is this economic cycle going to last? You know, are we still a relatively early cycle? Or are we mid-cycle, which is what we think? Some people might say we're kind of later cycle because of how high inflation is and because how low unemployment rate already is. So it's only the macro environment influences the market environment. And those people who are on the more pessimistic end, I think, are worried about inflation just being sticky, about uh, you know the Fed are having to raise rates, cooling the economy, the valuations are being high. More optimistic camp, which I think would we sort of put ourselves in, is that inflation will moderate and it won't really require significant Fed rate hikes, and the cycle can run you know a decent amount, and, and frankly, investors will continue to sort of gravitate towards equities. But that really is sort of the, the main story this year: is how does the macro path play out? And depending on which path it is, you know, the market performance is going to hinge a lot on that. Breaking this out a bit further, Jason, it was interesting as I was reading through the blog, I noticed how you cited how both the equity and bond markets pricing for growth, inflation, and Fed policy appears to be inconsistent. So what exactly are you picking up on there? Well, if you think about like what the public at least is worried about, it's inflation. You know, inflation is high. This is a big fear that inflation is going to stay sticky. But if you look at what the bond markets are pricing for interest rates, you know, five, 10 years out, they're basically saying inflation is going to moderate. It's going to fall back down towards two and a half percent, maybe even a little less, kind of back to levels, you know, not just pre-pandemic, but going back to maybe, you know, the 2010 to 2014-15 period, which is still relatively low by historical standards. So the bond market is not too worried about inflation. I think equities are sort of taking their cues from, from the bond market in that respect. 
The bond market is also pricing the Fed only to raise rates about six times in total in this cycle. Uh, so ultimately, the Fed funds rate will get up to around 1.5, 1.6%. Last cycle, back in 2018, it got up to 2.5%. 1.5% is pretty low. That's a pretty you know, modest view in terms of how many hikes are necessary to even bring inflation down. Again, that's a positive for, you know, for equity markets as well. Where things, I think, the inconsistency arises is that the bond market, essentially by pricing in so many few Fed rate hikes, is basically saying long-term growth isn't very good. The Fed can't raise rates very long or very much because the economy can't handle it. You know, growth can't, you know, it's not that strong. So it's sort of pessimistic on growth. Whereas equities, if you look at the valuations and sort of the, you know, how well equities have done, there's a fair amount of optimism about the, the medium to long-term growth outlook. And that's why I'd say there's some inconsistency. And so in order to get that sort of aligned, sort of in order for them to be sort of same sort of similar things, to me, ultimately, they have to converge. And the way they're going to converge is by bond yields rising. And even though we're, you know, not even a, you know, one full trading day now, just the markets are, are about to open soon. The 10 year treasury yield is already up almost 15 basis points since the start of the year. So I think it's sort of moving towards that pricing in you know, actually a better macro environment going forward, at least from a long term perspective. So that convergence has already happened at least a little bit, you know, barely two days into the new year. You mentioned the 10 year treasury yield. I know we're at around a one spot six, six, one spot six, seven at the moment. So thank you for the clarity on that point, Jason. Now, it does appear that investors might expect to see some additional spouts of volatility, of course, reflecting on 2021. Most recently, I recall that Omicron right after the Thanksgiving holiday did trigger a period of volatility. So what might be the triggers of volatility looking Looking ahead, Jason, and what can investors do right now to prepare and protect their portfolios against spouts of volatility that might present? Well, I think the, the sources of volatility are going to be the macro data that comes in because investors are going to try and interpret this and see is inflation getting better or not? Is growth slowing too much? How much slack is in the labor market? And sometimes the data will be come in you know, very strong in a way that's favorable. Other times it's going to come in the more pessimistic. So that's going to be an inherent source of, of volatility. I think the, the bigger source is probably going to be from a policy perspective um, that is, you know, it's going to add to volatility. And for, for, first and foremost is the Fed. So we know that the Fed is, is already accelerated its uh, you know, bond tapering, uh, and it's likely they start to raise rates this year. So it's not just that they are doing that that's going to be the source of volatility. The other thing is that for a number of years, for at least the last decade, and we can really go back almost to late 1990s, the Fed has sort of been there anytime there's been a real growth scare and the markets have been selling off. So there's a, you know, what's termed like the Fed put, they'll kind of you know, put a floor into the markets. With inflation being at the level it's at, the Fed can't sort of be sort of sanguine about that as they've been for the past certain decade where they haven't been worried about, you know, high inflation. They've been worried about inflation too low. With high inflation, their hands are tied to some extent. They have to kind of take some sort of action on that front, which means if there is a bit of a growth scare, they can't intervene. And therefore, that sort of floor below the markets with a cushion is just not the same as it was, which means that there's more scope for volatility. Markets can fall a little bit more than they did in the past. So I think that's kind of the key source of volatility. I think in terms of how to protect for it, I think one, just anticipating and knowing that's going to you know, happen and, and not sort of, you know, you know, be overly reactive. In the very short term, some of the economic data may actually get worse before it gets better. Uh, we might see growth data being impacted by Omicron. You know, it's too soon to tell, but there should be some least negative impact. Uh, inflation might go up in the next month or two before it starts to moderate. So for the next month or two, the data may get worse and the markets might react to it uh, before realizing that the data is going to get better. And it could look through that, but that's, again, sort of a source of volatility. 
So you have to, one, just have to sort of be patient to, to kind of look through some of the, the near-term noise. The other thing is just to make sure your portfolio is sort of diversified for different sort of scenarios. You know, there's still a role for bonds even as yields rise. And if yields do rise, they become, a, you know, a better, more attractive hedge than they were. And it's also sort of being prepared for different macro scenarios. So while we still think there's a pro-cyclical tilt to portfolios, something like healthcare is, I think, that could be a little bit more defensive in your portfolio. So I think just making sure you're diversified is, is another good way to just be protected overall from the volatility and the uncertainty of the macro path going forward. Jason, thank you for that guidance. Always helpful to reinforce those points on how investors can and should protect proactively against periods of volatility. So, Jason, as we begin to close out our conversation for today in the way of final thoughts or takeaways, what else should investors be mindful of as we're making our ways into the early days of 2022? So I think, you know, big picture, you know, this should be another positive year for risk assets, and we're off to a decent start so far. It may be a little more front-load in terms of good performance early in the year, a little more challenging perhaps late in the year as, as growth does slow, as policy does tighten a little bit more. Uh, I think it's another year of more volatility. Uh, you know, not just more volatility, but we also might see bigger drawdowns. Last year, the, the biggest pullback in the S&P of 100 from peak to trough was just over 5%. Uh, that's the second smallest sort of maximum drawdown for a calendar year in the past 25 years. Only in 2017 do we have a smaller drawdown. So we're likely to see a bigger pullback, um, which means that the environment is probably more of a trading environment where you have to be a little more nimble as opposed to last year, where if you just kind of you know, rode through, the market keeps grinding higher. That isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just means you have to be a little bit more nimble, be prepared to uh, you know, take advantage of opportunities. But also sometimes those pullbacks will reflect changing macro environments. So I think the investment playbook Will change with the economic environment. So we might start off right now with a more pro-cyclical, you know, positive risk on stance. And you know, as the year evolves, that may need that playbook, you know, good chance it needs to be you know, evolved. So I think that's where investors have to be a little more on their sort of toes this year as opposed to last year, where I think just sort of putting your head down, buying every dip was a strategy that, that worked out quite effectively. Jason, thank you for joining us here on top of the morning to kick off 2022. Great catching up as always. Appreciate your insights and looking forward to our conversations over the next year. Thank you again, Jason. You're welcome. And again, today we've been joined by Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located up on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including the blog authored by Jason Dreho, which we have been making reference to during today's conversation, title of which is Now What? So for clients of UBS, please be sure to contact your financial advisor to learn more about today's topics or to receive a copy of that blog directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the global wealth management business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only.
As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.